You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Well, as we've been talking about, today is the first Sunday of Advent, and Advent means coming. It's the four weeks or four Sundays, starts four Sundays before Christmas, where we wait, where we wait alert to what is coming. It's a time of expectation and anticipation where we, we live awake to God's promise of the Messiah. It's a time of preparation, where we focus our attentions maybe differently than the rest of the year. We prepare our hearts to make room for the Messiah. And it's a time of longing, a longing where we try to relate to the long waiting for the Messiah, for the Christ. Now, it may seem like it's a little tough to, to do that since Christ was born 2,000 years ago, but we try to experience this nonetheless. It's, it's that season where we try to experience the longing for this Messiah. We can identify with this longing, I think, as we ourselves long for Christ's return. I know I long for that, for the day when Christ comes back. The day where every tear is wiped away, where brokenness and disease are no more, where we are made whole. The day that joy is the order of every single day, again and again day after day, where death is no more. I long for that. So I encourage all of us in this Advent season to live awake to what is coming. And one of the ways we're going to try to encourage each other to do that is in the sermon series we're preaching uh, starting today, uh, this, during this Advent, yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, someone was joking with me before the service and thought, Tim, hey, you're going to cover the whole thing, huh? Just yesterday, today, and forever. Three points right there, you know, ten minutes each. But this is really a time for us to to preach through maybe four specific chapters of Hebrews, and then on Christmas Eve from a later chapter in Hebrews as well. In this book of Hebrews, uh, it recognizes that sometimes we get stuck in the past or stuck in the future, and that sometimes we have a hard time living awake to the present. So the writer warns us not to go back to the past, urges patience about the future, to live today. And so that's where we live today with God in our lives. But how will we be attentive to this reality? How will we listen for God's voice in the midst of all the busyness of this season? This Advent, I want us to be encouragers, encouraging each other to take, to listen with fresh ears, to live awake to what is coming. Our text today is from Hebrews chapter 1. I'd like us to maybe read this together. So let's stand. It's on page 970, Hebrews chapter 1, in your pew Bibles, that is. 970. We're going to read just the first four verses together of this chapter. So let's read this together. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Please sit down. Well, the headline of today's sermon is 
God speaks. He spoke to our ancestors. He speaks to us. God speaks. And that is good news. And it causes us to wonder, doesn't it? Wonder in a couple ways. Wonder in the sense of being filled with amazement and awe that the creator of the universe pays attention enough to us to speak to us. And the other is a sense of maybe curiosity, that kind of wonder. We're curious about it. How does that work? Why and how would God speak? Here's, here's the question I came up with uh, in my curiosity. Um, if I was God and I decided to speak to the world, how would I do it? So first of all, I imagine myself calling together maybe a, a blue ribbon steering committee, a committee of folks, uh, given that I'm Presbyterian, I'd be a committee, and gather folks together to strategize maybe the best way we could communicate this good news. And the vision would be this to the group, uh, to share some amazing good news with the whole world that's for everybody and it affects everybody. How would we do it? That would be kind of the, the mission of the group to figure that out. And so I began imagining what, what the group might come up with. First of all, I thought, well, maybe a, a big event strategy, you know, kind of like, you know, Seafair. I know that's a little bit too small, but, you know, they got the Blue Angels. They're pretty exciting. They, they attract big crowds. Maybe they could spell out with smoke, you know, the, the message across the sky. Okay, maybe bigger than that. Okay. So then I thought maybe the Olympics, you know, that's coming up, you know, opening ceremonies. You know, the world tunes into the Olympics. You know, maybe the Canadian channel because it's a little better. But uh, torch relay, um, you know, the torch relay, uh, you know, leading up to it could not only run through all of Canada, but maybe the entire world, every country of the whole world, catch people's attention. Not so sure about the mascot thing. That's not, not what I'm thinking. But the corporate sponsors, maybe the co-branding, extending the reach of the message. Well, okay, not so much. Or maybe this, maybe the historical turning point in history, the change of the new of the millennium. Remember that? That was incredible. Remember all the fireworks we watched progress around the world during that night that it changed to the year 2000? First in the South Pacific, then uh, Japan, China, India, Cairo, Rome, London, New York, Chicago, Seattle. It progressed around the world. The, the world tuned in. Okay, maybe I'm thinking this is just a little bit, this big event strategy is a little flawed because it's not too relational so far, is it? Okay, so how about this? How about social media? Okay, Facebook. Now, I kind of wondered, you know, are there a limit to the number of friends you can have on Facebook? Okay, well, maybe. Uh, Or how about a blog? You know, we could post regularly the creative stories of, uh, or creative and wonderful stories about this good news breaking into the world. You know, make it easy, easy for others to share that, that news or those stories from the blog on Facebook, Twitter, maybe YouTube video posts as well. Or maybe town hall meetings. Those were used effectively by McCain and Obama, both in their campaigns to get their message out. You know, Obama held one in China the other day, right? So maybe we would do town hall meetings. And I thought, well, okay. How about Oprah? Oprah, okay. If you get on Oprah, you can sell a lot of books. Huge viewership, great questions. And if it's Oprah's holiday special, there's going to be a lot of presents for the audience. That's exciting. But something is still not right. How how about a lecture series? You know, the University of Washington has lecture series all the time. I love those. We're right next to a great university. I love, you know, going to many of those lectures, you know, the the common book lectures. I remember watching the one on on TV about Tracy Kidder, uh, the review of that one, or the provost lectures. I enjoy those. what about a tour of major universities around the world doing lectures? I don't know. I mean, all of these kind of just feel a bit flat to me when I think about them. There's something missing, something wrong with all the committee work that's gone into this, you know? Um, because here is the deal. 
The good news is primarily about a relationship, not just information or selling. It's about a relationship. And so before I take us down any more uh, unfulfilling roads, let us maybe take a look at what God's strategy is on how he is going to speak. Here's what God does. In the beginning, God speaks, and all of creation comes into existence. That's pretty powerful. Let there be light, and there was light, and day, and night, and sea, and land, and creatures, and humankind. God created us, the people of the earth, to be in relationship with him. In the garden, he walks with man in relationship, and after the fall, God is still committed to that relationship. And as time moves on, God reveals kind of a bigger strategy. And his strategy is this. He picks a man, Abram, and he makes a covenant with him, and he says this to him. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those that bless you, and the ones that curse you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's Genesis 12. God is choosing to be in relationship with a man and with a nation. And that's his strategy. And he intends to bless the world through them. So how does he continue to speak into this relationship with this nation, uh, especially after the fall, after things kind of fall apart a bit? Well, one of the ways he does that is through the prophets. And this is where the text in Hebrews chapter 1 starts. And this is what it says in Hebrews 1. Long ago... God spoke to our ancestors in many ways and various ways by the prophets. Think of some of the prophets that, uh, some of the great prophets, uh, like Moses. Now, I have to admit that in Moses' time, uh, God did kind of go with the biggest vent strategy for a while, right? Plagues, dividing the Red Sea, destroying Pharaoh's army, pillar of fire, pillar of smoke, Mount Sinai, smoke and lightning, drama, a lot of drama there. And it's interesting, though, that in the midst of that drama, in the midst of those, those huge events, that the people say to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. They were afraid. So God spoke the law and the Ten Commandments to Moses, and Moses shared them with his people. And this is the prophetic paradigm. God speaks through the prophets to the nations that he's promised to bless. So often prophets have kind of one main theme. Uh, It might be a corrective to the nation, Israel. It it could be a message of hope. But always it's it's, uh, about how they are to live in relationship with God and with each other, with his people. Like Amos issues a cry for social justice. Uh, Isaiah spoke of the holiness of God. And Hosea proclaimed uh, the pursuing, the forgiving love of God and even lived it out in his life. They each communicate a piece of what is this relationship with God. And in that piece, God spoke through them. And even in the fragments, uh, even with these fragments of God's truth, they speak. But Hebrews continues, doesn't it? And it says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son. Now God speaks by Jesus. And in this, something really big is happening it's he's not a prophet. He's a son. It's different. He's not a friend of God with a message to a nation. He himself is the message and he is not a fragment of the truth. He is the real deal, the whole deal. He is literally the word of God. And when he comes, it is different. 
few years ago, I took uh, most of my family to a conference in Spokane at Whitworth College um, called the Whitworth Institute. And several of my, uh, fr- uh, my daughter's friends came along or were along, uh, Andrew's friends. Uh, they were a program for children, for youth, for adults, uh, for this whole week. And it was just a delightful conference. And one of the teachers that week was a fellow by the name of Eugene Peterson. He spoke here at this church several times. He's, he's famous for writing lots of different books, but one of the books that gets a lot of read by everybody is the book, the translation or the, really the paraphrase of the Bible, The Message. Its whole goal is to, to share, uh, the, the original meaning in modern language. And he does brilliant work in that, and people have really enjoyed that. So he was one of the speakers that week at this conference. Anyway, one day I was in the cafeteria at lunchtime, and I saw uh, Eugene Peterson sitting at a table in the cafeteria eating lunch with his lunch tray with four 14-year-old women, my daughter and her friends. And, after, and I watched him during this lunch, and he was, there was quite a conversation going on. He was asking questions. They were enjoying each other in this time. And so after lunch, I asked the girls if they knew who they were eating with. And they said, oh, he's just a wonderful grandfather guy. He's great, you know. He asked great questions. They thought he was very sweet. And I told them that this was Eugene Peterson who'd written the message, which they had been using or some of them had used in their Bible study. And so they were familiar with the book. And so one of the girls said, this is Catherine, said, wow, now we can say we had lunch with the man who wrote the Bible. So what would it be like if we uh, maybe set up an evening for Eugene Peterson to come and speak at UPC? He's been here before and spoken, but maybe we could bill it as an evening with the man who wrote the Bible. And say Eugene came, and then uh, in the first half hour, you know, he, he'd shared very uh, deep and wonderful things with us because he's insightful. And half, half hour into the talk, though, something miraculous happens. Two guys walk in, and it's Luke and it's Paul from the Bible. Okay. Now, I know it's a little supernatural, but bear with me a little bit. Even so, I think we would modify the rest of the program. I'm, I'm thinking Eugene would probably say this. Let's hear from the two guys who really wrote the Bible, and he'd call them up. He'd call Paul up and Luke up, and we'd hear from them. And Can you imagine what we'd hear? We'd, maybe we'd, we'd fill in some of the blanks we have. Or, or What did you mean by this when you wrote this in Luke, uh, or in, in Acts, Luke? What, would you, what did you mean by that? Or what was it like to be in ministry with Jesus? Or what was it like on the Damascus Road, Paul? when you came face to face with the Savior. But then maybe after another half hour or so, this teaching goes on, we're absolutely riveted to these guys, what they have to say. Another surprise guest arrives, and it's God, the creator of the universe, the one who has provided for purification for sin and the king of heaven. I'm thinking we're going to modify the program again. What do you think? The one that all of these others is pointing to is here and in person. And that changes everything. It makes sense to hear from him. And I'm thinking Eugene would step out of the way and Paul would step out of the way and Luke would step out of the way and we would hear from him. And this is what our text in Hebrews is about. God is now speaking through Jesus, who is the Christ. There is no greater messenger of the word than the Son of God, who is himself the word of God. Listen to how he's described in Hebrews chapter 1. He is the owner and the heir of all things. All of creation belongs to him. More than that, he created all things. He's not just an imitation of the Father. He is actually God. 
He radiates the glory of God. He is the exact representation of God's very being. That's what Hebrews says. And Paul echoes this in Colossians. He says, in Christ, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. And in the Gospel of John, the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. And this is Jesus who made purification for sin, as Hebrews says. He plays that priestly role. He fulfills the role of the priest, but not with burnt offerings does he make this sacrifice, but with his own life he conquers sin and death. And now he's also described as the king who sits on the right hand of the father, superior to angels. The Hebrews had this kind of fascination with angels. Um, In the last 10 verses of this chapter, uh, verses 5 through the end, um, describe why Jesus is superior to them. All those 10 verses basically say this. They are his servants. So that's the sum of that. But he is high above them, high above everything, sitting in fellowship and in unity with God the Father. The point of all this is that God showed up in Jesus. And the prophets step aside and the angels worship him. It is the clearest, strongest word God could speak. And it changes everything. So here we are now at Advent, and we know what is coming. And as we stand in front of the manger, we look in and we see it. The clearest, strongest word God could speak, and it's a baby. It's not just any baby. It's the God, the creator, the savior, the king. And we stand in awe, and we stand in wonder at this gift, because this gift is for us. He doesn't have to do anything or say anything. He is the word of God. It's unimaginable. And yet he does grow up. And he does say things. And he does do things of the greatest significance for us and for the whole world. And it changes everything. So how can we listen to what God is saying to us this Advent? in this time of preparation, of anticipation, of expectation. The greatest gift we have is that God continues to speak through his son. He speaks now through the Bible, which points to him, and through his spirit, who is with us all the time. Now, many of us are going to attend uh, lots of parties this holiday season, and some of those parties will probably be really big with lots of people and many conversations going on all at the same time where it's really hard to hear. I know for me... In in crowded restaurants or big gatherings now, it's harder and harder for me to hear what people are saying when there's this wall of noise. But it's kind of interesting. There's this phenomenon that I think is kind of fascinating that psychologists have identified. They call the cocktail party phenomena. It happens when you're in a conversation with someone, and across the room, way across the room from you, another conversation is going on as well. It may be this wall of noise. But in the midst of that wall of noise, this background, you hear it. You hear your name when it's said. Somehow our brains are wired in a way to listen and pick out our name. We wake up to our name when it's spoken across the room. And I guess what I'm wondering is this. How can we be that attentive to God's word to us this Advent? How do we wake up when we hear it? How do we wake up to God's voice so that we are wired to hear it? Now, you probably have several traditions or ways you do this in this Advent to wake up. 
But I have four suggestions of just practices for you and for us during this time. The first is this. It's what you're doing right now. It's worship. Make it a priority of worship during this Advent time. And I know it's a busy, busy time. Can we get to all the parties on time? Can we get the shopping done? Can we get the preparations done if we come to church? But in the midst of the busyness, it is a place where we wake up to God. And that is basically what worship is all about. Us waking up to hear what God is saying to us. The other place which is available to us every day is to read the Bible. Maybe a gospel, some stories about Jesus, this person we anticipate on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. Certainly Hebrews chapters 1 through 4, getting ready for the sermon series. It's also, you know, this Bible is also called the Word of God. And it's called that because in it we hear the voice and we see the life of Christ. It testifies to the living Word of God, Jesus. Maybe a gospel story at a mealtime with family. Maybe studying in a small group, the Bible. God speaks to us in its pages. The other place I think uh, would be a helpful discipline for us is to gather in community. Because God's strategy is all about relationships. Relationships with God and with each other. Through prayer together, through fellowship together, the spirit that Jesus sent to us is present in a special way where two or three are gathered in Christ's name. Like the prophets, we share with each other the presence and the life of God's word in Christ. So seek out a place of community where you can share that this holiday season, this Advent season. The last thing I'd encourage you to do is to tell a story. Think of one story that you can tell this Advent that will remind you and remind others of the wonder of Christmas and tell it again and again and again. It will keep you awake. It will keep you aware. Maybe it's just a simple story of the text we read today. Maybe it's, maybe it's just saying that in many and various ways, God spoke through the prophets. And now he speaks through Jesus, who is God, the creator, the priest who solves our, our sin, the king of all kings. Maybe it's that simple story. And keeping that in front of you and in front of others to encourage them in this Advent time of preparation. The headline, God speaks, and we stand in wonder as we look at the word of God incarnate, Emmanuel. Let's pray together. Lord, you speak to us. It's unimaginable, but you do. And you speak in a way of not just an audible voice, but through the incarnation. You became human. You came to us in the form of a child. Lord, we thank you for that gift. We ask that you would help each of us during this Advent time to listen well to what you say. Make us attentive to your word. Help us to receive the gift of your scriptures. Help us to receive the gift of your spirit. And we pray that your spirit would wake us up each day to, to this season and what we, the gift we prepare to receive again at Christmas. Thank you for this gift. And Lord, make us people who are so grateful for this gift that we are generous people as well. As we prepare for our offering, Lord, our, to give our tithes and offering, we ask that you would take these gifts we bring and use them for your kingdom's glory, both here in Seattle and around the world. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette.
To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.